understanding of the people who made up the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, referred to them as saints. In fact, most of his um, letters, he would open or close, you know, to the saints in Philippi or the saints in uh, Galatia or the saints somewhere. So that was, that was his understanding. It's important to think in those terms because oftentimes we, we get into the habit of referring to ourselves as sinners. Um, Paul would say, listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Right? You've been covered. So let's uh my name's Stephen Dickinson, lead pastor around here. Before we dig into the message, let's let's open with a word of prayer, why don't we? Gracious and loving God, we have gathered here this morning to, to give you thanks and praise. Our God, who is more than enough. You you're the God of abundance. And not abundance of material possessions, but abundance of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so we give you thanks for, for meeting all of our needs and then some. Because of who you are, our, our cup truly runs over. God, we pray that, that we're able to let go of all of the worldly distractions this morning and just, just worship you in spirit and in truth as we glory in your presence here this morning. We thank you for loving us protecting us, guiding our steps as we navigate this confusing road we call life. We take comfort in the fact that that whether we turn right or we turn left, you're in both places, always present to give us what we need if we ask. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. You raised him from the dead as you have raised us and you called us to, to be your own bringing us into your marvelous light. God, we thank you for your church, your church universal. Thank you for Cabot Apostolic Church here in town and and what you're doing through them. Just allow them to accomplish what you've called them to do and to reach the people you've called them to reach. And be with those that are hurting this morning, God. Specifically those who are on our, our prayer list, but there are many that we haven't even thought of and so we just we ask that you give them something that we can't and that is your healing touch and a peace that passes all understanding and now God just hear us collectively as we say the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So today we're bringing our three-part series of three simple rules to a close, and, and we have learned that these rules were, were actually used in the, in the 1700s as, as a guide or really as a standard for a Christian small group participation. A guy by the name of John Wesley formed a lot of small groups and he had his leaders of those small groups look for evidence in the life of those who were participating in those groups as to whether or not they were serious about their faith and their relationship with God. If they weren't serious about it, they were, they were asked to leave the group. Um, and th- these rules served as, as guiding principles to a life of holiness, a life that will, would build up community, uh, would keep you out of trouble, and would bring honor and glory to God. So the, 
first rule that we covered a few weeks ago was do no harm. Uh, last week was the second rule of do good. Uh, pretty straightforward, self-explanatory, not always easy, but certainly attainable. And, and these first two rules, they're, they're great rules to live by, but they are, they're impossible to achieve or attain without the third rule, which is to stay in love with God. Now, originally, uh, this last rule was described by John Wesley as tending to the ordinances of God. Uh, but, but over time, as, as scholars have studied uh, Wesley and, and the gospel words of Jesus that, that Wesley loved so much, uh, we just began to say it in a little more modern terminology. You know, stay in love with God. It's just easier to understand than tending to the ordinances of God. Uh, but we'll dig into this a little bit here, and hopefully it'll make some sense. And so here are the things that, that Wesley had defined as, as ordinances, those things that we need to tend to. Stay in love, um, staying in love with God here. So the, the, the act of public worship, which is corporate worship, we're doing that now. The ministry of, of the word, either read or expounded. The supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures like Bible study, fasting or abstinence. He didn't come up with these, these and um, give or take. Two or three have just been understood by the church universal as these are the ordinances of, of God and the church. And so, so when we're doing these things on a regular basis and participating in their design spiritual formation, they will keep us close to the heart of God. For Wesley, attending to the ordinances of God is what, what brings us to the center of God's grace and mercy and love, and, and, over, and, and it does it over and over again, and it exposes us to, um, to God's life-giving power, which then creates in us this, this desire or, or this longing to just kind of linger in the presence of God, just to kind of hang out or uh, what the Old Testament would say, pitch a tent, you know, just dwell in God's forgiving grace. And, and in that place and from that place, we respond to God with praise and thanksgiving. We just, we return the love back to God. So the word ordinances, it's a little strange to us. Um, we don't use it a whole lot except as it kind of relates to maybe city ordinances. Um, but for Wesley and for many other theologians too, it, it was a word that described the, the practices that, that kept the relationship between God and, and humans vital and alive and, and growing. So public worship and communion and private and corporate prayer and Bible studies and searching the scripture and, and fasting. These, these were essential spiritual practices, uh, not only for Wesley, but also for thousands of people who wanted a deeper relationship with God and an encounter with the Holy Spirit. In other words, these spiritual disciplines are, are what keep us connected to and in love with God. M much of our human relationships, <clears throat> much like our human relationships, really the more time that we spend, you know, investing in them, then the better they are. And all throughout the Bible, we're, we're encouraged to, to attend to these ordinances. So really, in a sense, God himself is saying, here, here are some things that you can do that are going to help this relationship. Now, we can't possibly list all of the scriptures that, that give a command or an instruction or, or an order to do this or to do that. And so we're just going to look at a verse from the Apostle Paul 
out of his letter to the church in Colossae. This is Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. He writes, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but we've lost a little bit in translation. So the Greek wording that, the Paul, that Paul uses here, that language that he uses for rooted and built up, means to make spiritual progress, to grow your faith. All right? Don't get stagnant, because when you do, you start losing ground. I mean, you've got a foundation, you've been rooted in faith, in Jesus, and now this is what we build upon. We build upon that faith in Jesus. As Christians, we're either growing or we're dying. There, there's really no such thing as spiritual cruise control, which, by the way, is a very popular theology in America today. You know, you'll hear people say, well, I, yeah, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm good. You know, I heard Jesus died for my sins, past, present, and future, so I'll I'll do what I want to do. I got baptized when I was eight, and so, you know, that's all that's really required to get into heaven. That's a whole other sermon, but (laughs) the point is, we'll we'll make the decision to to submit our lives to Christ, or or we'll have this powerful encounter of the Holy Spirit, or we'll experience God's cleansing grace and forgiveness, and at the time, man, there is nothing on earth like it. It It is an awesome experience. But it doesn't take long, and we're kind of back into the routine of life. The same life that we just said was dead. This doesn't happen to everybody, but it is a challenge for everybody. If we're not careful, we'll slip back into business as usual. Business before Christ. Psychologists have a term for this phenomenon. It's called habituation. Uh, the idea is that this, this new object or this uh, um, a new stimuli is introduced into our environment, a new experience that we have, and, and we are intensely aware of it when it happens, but that awareness fades over time. We get used to it. We begin to take it for granted. For example, when I first started wearing glasses, I, I hated them. I, mean, I hated them all day long, every day. Now I don't even know I have them on, Right? I'll be walking around the house looking for them, and Leela's like, they're on your face. You're literally looking at them, you know, right? Um, and so, listen, one of our greatest challenges is fighting spiritual habituation. Because we can slowly and gradually reach a point in life where we, where we go into this spiritual maintenance mode, we, and we rationalize it because we think, you know, I'm, I'm not involved in any major scandalous sin um, I haven't done anything to, to lose my salvation, so, so I'm, I'm doing okay. And we forget that Jesus said, did not say, I have come, I've given my life to you so that you can just do okay. That's not what he said. J- just okay is not okay. When life is on spiritual autopilot, rivers of living water do not flow through it with energy and joy. If we want our relationship with God to be vibrant and alive and exciting and strong, we have got to nurture it. If we want to stay in love with God, it's going to take some effort on our part. Uh, We've got to participate in some some spiritual disciplines because they teach 
teach us to, to live our lives in harmony with something that's much larger than ourselves, larger than the values of the world. These disciplines, they, they keep us in touch with and in tune with the mysteries of God, something the world doesn't know anything about. And these, these practices or these disciplines are, are what we refer to as a means of grace. They're ways by which Christians can, can grow stronger in their faith and grow in the grace of God. In other words, they, they are God's instrument to convey his limitless love to us. They create opportunities for, for those moments of divine encounters. And, and even though we grow closer and closer to God over the course of, of time and, and, and through these disciplines that we practice, we never really completely, fully know the heart and the mind of God. But we keep striving, right? Because that's the goal. But with God, there's always more to know. There's always more to learn. There's always more to experience. The late uh, Reuben Job wrote in his, his book, he wrote a book called Three Simple Rules. And here's what he says. Living in the presence of and in harmony with the living God is to find our moral direction, our wisdom, our courage, our, our strength to live faithfully from the one who authored us called us, sustains us, and sends us into the world as witnesses who daily practice the way of living with Jesus. Spiritual disciplines keep us in that healing, redeeming presence and power of God that forms and transforms each of us more and more into the image of the one we seek to follow. Simply put, these practices, they're transformative. They keep us positioned in such a way that, that deep within us, we can hear God's softest whisper of, of love and promise and forgiveness and direction. And as we hear that, if we're close enough to God to hear this whisper and receive this peace and this comfort, man, that, that builds trust. That builds confidence in the relationship. It gives you courage to step out when he calls you to do something because you know he's there. This idea of staying in love with God, it, it Sounds a little strange to some folks, you know, because we're, we're like, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Of course I love God, you know, and I don't have any plans to fall out of love with God. Nobody ever does. You don't really fall out of love with God, just like you don't fall out of love with your spouse. What happens is you, you just slowly start putting other things before them. And, and then one day you wake up and the, the thing that used to consume your heart and occupy your mind, it has been replaced with something else. That is the story of God's people all throughout the Old Testament. You know, li life is good when they have this deep love of, of God, and then all of a sudden they get distracted by the, the next new thing or the little idol, and their heart gets divided, and then life doesn't go so well. That, that's part of our broken human nature that we've got to guard against. In the Gospel of John, uh, we find a story that really reminds us of how important it is not only to love God, but also um, understanding how loving God impacts our lives. What, is, what does it really mean to us? Not just to God that we love him. What does it mean to us? And so after the resurrection, uh, Jesus' disciples, they went back to fishing, where many of them were called out of fishing, right? And, which sounds a little strange. I mean, they've just spent the last three years not fishing, but really turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. And as soon as Jesus is gone, they go back to doing what they're used to. 
what they're familiar with. I don't, this could be um, spiritual habituation kind of kicking in in their life. They're settling. But Jesus came to them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee one morning and, and waited patiently for them to come in. And, and when they got close, uh, Peter recognizes that it's Jesus in his resurrected form. And he gets really excited, jumps out of the boat. But, and I think some of that excitement uh, may have been driven by guilt because Peter had denied even knowing Jesus um, three times that night that he was arrested. I mean, perhaps Peter thought that this was, was, this was his chance to get some redemption for himself, right? To, to prove himself since he had failed three times before. But Jesus, as always, he's one step ahead of him. And so when the two were reunited, Jesus asked Peter this very simple question. He said, Simon, which was Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter had been pretty bold about um, claiming and talking about how he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples when they were in ministry together. And here Jesus is asking him to affirm that once again. Do you love me more than these? And you can just imagine the look of confusion on Peter's face when he responds to Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, he sort of gets back to, I'm a Christian, of course I love you kind of question is that it's an important question why is it an important question it's important because the question that jesus asked peter he's asking of each and every one of us and it reveals a great deal about the essentials of our relationship with god our relationship with God cannot be one where we just take what God has to offer, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and just go on about our way, thinking that we deserve what he just gave us and, and never really responding to that gift. Jesus asked Peter three times the same question, do you love me? And I think Jesus repeated this question because he wanted to make sure that Peter was certain that he knew what he was saying what he was agreeing to, what was expected of him as a follower of Jesus. Staying in love with God was the primary way of living a Christ-centered life back then, first century. Nothing's changed. It is still the primary way for us to live a Christ-centered life. Out of our love for God flows the goodness and the life of Christ to the world. It can be no other way. Peter, do you love me? You can just imagine him asking you the question right now. Stephen, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. No, no, seriously, do you love me? Of course I do, Jesus. You know that I do. You know all things. I'm going to ask you one more time. Because I want you to consider the cost of your answer. Do you love me? Yes. Then I need you to do something. I need you to tend my lambs. To feed my sheep. I need you to take care of the flock. If we truly love Jesus, we're going to love God's people no matter what the cost. 
Here's another quote from Reuben Job's book. He says, Spiritual disciplines not only include practices that bind us to God every day, but they also include actions. Actions that heal the pain, injustice, and the inequality of our world. It is impossible to stay in love with God and not desire to see God's goodness and grace shared with the entire world. Last week we talked about how we're striving to become righteous, doing what is right in the eyes of God, standing, having a right relationship because of what Jesus did on the cross, more in tune with holy living. And in this dialogue here, this exchange between Peter and Jesus, that it, there's, we hear something very important for us that we've got to know and we've got to understand, and that is this. Holy living will not be discovered, achieved, continued, or sustained without staying in love with God. That's the Christian life right there. Let me repeat it. Holy living, it will not be discovered, achieved, continued, or sustained without staying in love with God. And the only way that's going to happen is not by our hard work or our wisdom. It is only by the grace of God. And God's grace finds expression in many ways and comes to us through many channels. But spiritual disciplines are by far the most effective. We don't receive the grace of God by osmosis. We don't inherit it from our parents. You can't borrow it from a friend. The only way to experience the grace of God is to put yourself in a position to experience the grace of God. I've got friends, close friends. They don't go to the vine, so don't look around trying to find out who they are. And they're not, they won't listen to this podcast. And I'll, we've talked about this, so I'm confident in saying it. Uh, we all grew up, you know, going, going to church. Went off to college, and we, we stopped going to church. Some made it back into church. Others did not. And they claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they worship God from their house as they prepare for the 12 o'clock kickoff game of the NFL. And, and they say that they are much more in tune with God as they, as they hunt and they fish and, and they golf. And, and while those activities have some value, they don't even come close to transforming us into the people that God created us to be. It's within the context of Christian community that we regularly experience the disciplines of corporate worship and holy communion and praying and searching the scriptures and singing and witnessing baptism. And, and it all brings us closer to God and one another. Those are the activities by which God's grace forms and transforms us. It is through these practices that we find the courage and the strength and the direction to walk faithfully and with integrity in the ways of Jesus. They help us to stay in love with God. And that is the key to true discipleship. Let me finish the story between Jesus and Peter. Verse 17. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon... Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he says this, very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And check this out. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. History tells us that Peter was, in fact, stretched out and crucified. You never know where following Jesus is going to take you. But, man, I want to find out. I know what this world has to offer, and it's just not that appealing to me anymore. I want to discover all that Christ has in store for me. And it would appear as though the only way to discover that, the only way to truly follow Christ into the unknown is to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. If we're willing to live by these these three little rules of, of do no harm and do good and stay in love with God, we might just become the masterpiece that that God created us to be. These rules are simple, but they're not easy. And only those with great courage will attempt it. Only those with great determination will be able to walk this exciting and this demanding way of life. However, there are tons of other options, right, to choose from. They are all lesser options with, with uh, lesser results that range from poor to disastrous. But my prayer is, my hope is, and, and, my, and I believe that each and every one of us will choose a road of righteousness and do whatever it takes to stay in love with God. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And sometimes we get confused and we think that that, that goodness and, and our blessing and our comfort in life, it somehow comes from us, like we've produced it. And, and that's not it. Everything good comes from you because you are the author of goodness. And God, this morning, we just, we want you to know that we love you. And our prayer is that your Holy Spirit has been among us this morning and working through the songs and the prayers and the message and what we're about to celebrate here at, at for Holy Communion, that, that you're going to continue to shape us and mold us and transform our hearts and our minds, um, drawing us closer to you so that when we go out into the world, we have the fortitude to stand for Jesus. We want to be light in a dark world. And so we've got to keep coming together and getting energized and encouraged to go do that. God, just bless the remainder of our time together this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Stephen was talking about family. And, you know, in honor of All Saints Day, it's one of those times when you realize how many people have come before us. I mean, thousands of years of saints have come before us. They have carried that, you know, the shoulders.